Let us pray. Most holy and gracious God, we just thank you for this opportunity to worship you, to worship you in spirit and in truth. So as we approach this word, I ask that you would hide me behind the cross, that only your words and your spirit go forth, and that everyone who has ear to hear and heart to receive would do so today. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Colossus is situated on the Lycus River about 100 miles east of Ephesus. It is in what we would call modern-day Turkey. And although this was a wealthy wool industry town and it had been prosperous, at the time that Paul is writing, the city or the region is on a downturn. It has started to decline. The population is a mixed population of native Phrygians, as well as Greek and Syrian settlers, and there are a considerable number of Jews that had settled into the area. The religion of the region was a mix, and there were many deities worshipped and cults flourished. So Colossians is a letter to a church dealing with large issues of faith and conduct, and Paul is worried He has received news that false teachers are deceiving the community, dazzling them with philosophy, and leading them away from the centrality and the sufficiency of Christ. The church in Colossus has been founded by Epaphras, Paul's assistant, but clearly Paul regarded himself as the pastor or the leader of that church. He was concerned about its welfare, And this church would have probably been a small group of people, no temples, no fanfare. They probably worshiped in a home. So the letter begins with a greeting, and we should note that Paul rarely works alone. He establishes that he is the apostle, but he also mentions Timothy. And throughout all of Paul's ministry, he is accompanied and supported by many who he considers his co-workers or his co-laborers. And they share this common heritage of being children of God. As a matter of fact, Paul is writing from prison. Yet this church continues to exist and thrive. At the beginning, Paul is kind and he is persuasive with the Colossians. He begins by affirming the hearers of this letter and assures them of his confidence and appreciation for their loyalty The false teachers had offered a criticism of the gospel, and Paul was ever so grateful for the opportunity to straighten them out. He gently but firmly insists that the gospel of the crucified, resurrected, and exalted Lord is exclusively and the only valid answer that applies to all of the questions of humanity. Now, some of us remember the movie Roots. Back in the 1970s, a, written by, a book written by Alex Haley, millions read and millions saw this epic story covering more than 200 years and six generations of Alex Haley's. It centers initially on Kunta Kinte, Alex Haley's great-great-great-great-great-grandfather. And as the first chapter describes tribal customs concerning birth, and especially the big event of naming a child on the eighth day. 
The description is powerful. Omoro, the father, then walked out before all the assembled people of the village. He moves to his wife's sides. He lifted up the infant, and as all watched, he whispered three times into his son's ear the name he had chosen for him. It was the first time the name had ever been spoken as the child's name, for Omoro's people felt that each human being should be the first to know who he was. And as if trying to place the truth of the child's identity in proper dimension, chapter one of Roots closes with the father talk, taking his infant son out into the night, lifting him face up to the heavens and proclaiming, Behold, the only thing greater than yourself. It was a celebration of identity, a ritual to recall what a, that, that a person would know who he or she is. And nothing is more important than to know who you are. In Colossians, Paul addresses the question of identity and reminds us that one of the benchmarks of the gospel is for us to always remember who we are, to always remember whose we are. Paul reminds the Colossians of who they are. In verse 2, he calls them God's holy people. God's holy people. And, and those who are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. And he continues by letting them know how grateful, how grateful he is for them. And that his prayers, in his prayers, he thanks God for them. He is grateful that they are part of the family. The church needs to remember who she is. We're a family. In a family, the well-being of every member is important. And members of the family should be willing to sacrifice themselves on behalf of other members. The church is a special kind of family. It's a fellowship of saints. It's a word I use often in my emails. Saints means dedicated. Or a bit stronger, it means consecrated. The Colossians were saints not because they were distinguished from others, not because of their moral or spiritual disciplines, but because they received and responded to a divine calling. They are part of the family of Christ, and so are we. So that is our identity as Christians. We are saints because we belong to Christ. We have been called, and we, have, we are faithful to that call. Whether or not we are lay or clergy, ordained or unordained, deacons or elders, we are brothers and sisters, members of the family. And with naming who we are, we need to celebrate who we are, and at the heart of every celebration is thanksgiving. At the heart of every celebration is gratitude. Faith, hope, and love. You know, that's a trio that Paul uses in many places throughout the gospel, throughout his letters. He talks about faith, hope, and love in Romans and Philippians and Thessalonians. And many of us know faith, hope, and love from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So it's familiar to us. But in this text, in regards to faith, Paul gives thanks 
to God for our faith in Jesus Christ. Faith is directed to Jesus, and faith is in Christ. And Paul is thankful for the Colossians because he has heard of their love. He has heard of their love for each other and their love for the saints. Love is to and for the brothers and sisters. And Paul is thankful for the Colossians because he has heard of their love. Love gets out. It's contagious. And it spreads. And it's gotten back to Rome in Paul, who is in prison, that the Colossians are loving people. But this faith in Christ, this love of the saints, is nourished by hope. Hope that the Colossians found in the gospel. Hope that Colossians found in the good news. The good news is what it says in our text. The word hope has in the text, as used in this text, has a twofold meaning. It refers to that expectant posture toward the future. We're hoping for the future. All good things, we await, we wait for them. We, Paul says they are, hope is set aside for us in the heavens. So hope is both anticipated, but hope is also present. We want and hope for God to come in and change the existing world in which we live in, to, to make it a present reality that it's already announced and it's already inaugurated. Hope is anticipated for the future, but at the same time, our hope should be visible today because the good news reshapes our current reality. So doing it when it doesn't make sense, that's the hard part. How can we be people of hope when it doesn't seem to make sense? I don't know about you, but the news of the last few weeks has been pretty discouraging these days. For the first time in 234 years, the United States Congress is basically paralyzed because the House of Representatives cannot operate without a Speaker of the House. I don't know if y'all learned that in civics. I didn't. Uh, but they can't operate, so here we are. I have been distressed about the churches leaving the United Methodist Church, and in particular about my home church disaffiliating, the place where I got my call, the place where I was supported through seminary. They have decided to disaffiliate. So I was heartbroken. And if I thought that news was terrible, a week ago we woke up to find out that Israel was being attacked by Hamas and 1,200 people, at least 1,200 people, have been killed, many more injured, in addition to the 1,000 or more that have been killed in Gaza the war in Israel has covered my spirit like a cold, wet blanket. And I have a family member who lives in Tel Aviv with her family, her husband and three children. And she gives us daily updates. And it's heartbreaking to hear her stories firsthand. She talks about trying to maintain normalcy while at the same time listening for the air raid sirens and running into their bomb shelter. But during her video updates in the midst of war, she evangelizes. She evangelizes for Jesus. She encourages everyone to come to Christ, and she encourages the viewers to pray. In one of her Facebook posts, 
She said, I wish I had a therapist right now. I could talk to because this is an emotional roller coaster. Her moods go from sad to afraid to angry and then back to gratitude. Yes, gratitude. How could she be grateful at a time like this? Well, their family got an evacuation order and she's packing for her and the children while her husband will stay there and continue his work. And as she's laying in bed one morning watching sleep, she notices that there are angels all around him. Angels in every color, angels in, every, in different sizes. And she realizes with gratitude that God is telling her everything will be okay. So here, even in our small towns and in our local cities, we're susceptible to unspeakable crimes. A Lawrenceville family has been charged with murder in the death of a young woman who came here for religious training. And they beat her and starved her as part of her religious training. So yes, the world can be heavy and cover us like a cold, wet blanket. Anthony used to call it a blankie, and I think that's why that came up out of me today. So considering what's taken place in D.C. and Israel and even Lawrenceville last week, is it any wonder that the world doesn't make sense to us, even us people of hope? So why should we be thankful? How do we keep living as people of hope, thankful and grateful, especially when it doesn't seem to make sense? We do it because we are people of faith, hope, and love. And we pray that our identities will become contagious in the world, that our faith, hope, and love in Jesus will project into the world and change the world view for someone else, someone who is trying to make sense of a senseless world. So how do we grow? How do we grow in grace and knowledge? How do we grow in gratefulness? How do we grow in thankfulness? That's part of the theme during our stewardship emphasis over the next month, growing into our new lives. We should always be growing. How do we live extraordinary lives? The life of Christ's death and resurrection in our everyday lives. How do we do that? Well, as we see in Colossians 1, 11 through 12, this means living in joyful thanksgiving. There are two references to thanksgiving in the text, and each has a connection to prayer. But by now, we should be, not be surprised because if prayer and thanksgiving converge in the text, that's because Paul is always praying Paul has always said, I pray unceasingly. It should be part of our reality. And Paul then goes on to list that we have already been gifted. And I said, gifted? So as I went through the text, I said, gifted in what way? So I went through the text and I underlined the gifts that God has given to us. Hope. The good news, the gospel. 
God's given us, love, given us love for others through the Holy Spirit. Paul is always praying that we gain knowledge of God's will, spiritual wisdom, and understanding, praying that we receive strength to endure through God's glorious power. Paul prayed that we receive patience, joy, and inheritance in Christ Jesus. God has gifted us with the gift of liberation. He's purchased our freedom and forgiven our sins. God has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and motivated us or moved us to the kingdom of Jesus. God has changed our destinies. So we strive to be joyful and grateful despite the news because we are trusting the God who brought us as a price and took us out of darkness into light. The God who projects love and helps us to make sense in a senseless world. We are grateful because we are trusting in the love of God, the God who will project love into a world that can be full of hate. We strive to grow in our joyfulness and our gratefulness because we trust that God will heal a world that is hurting. So we keep the faith. We keep loving. We keep hoping because that's who we are. That's our identity. Because we remember who we are in those times when the world can be senseless that we remember that we are saints, members of the family, and children of God. We remember because like the Apostle Paul, we keep praying because the world needs our prayers. Let us pray. Most holy and gracious God, we come bowing humbly at your feet. First of all, thanking you for the inheritance, thanking you for the gifts, thanking you most of all for Jesus. We come, Lord, because you are our God and we worship you. So prepare us now to share our faith, to share our hope, to share our love, and to remind people that you are the source. We thank you in the mighty, matchless name of Jesus. Amen.